in your Bibles to the book of Luke, I want to talk about the, uh, the benefits of praying in other tongues. Now, here's the thing that you have to understand. I want to show you a scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I want to show you a scripture of what Paul was addressing when it came to tongues. So in other words, in every service or maybe uh, there are those that are watching, those that will look at the archives in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 14, you typically have three types of people. So even in this room today, this isn't a judgment, this is just fact of you have three types of people really that come into every church service. And, uh, or they watch online or they maybe connect uh, an archive. And so the Apostle Paul identifies three types of people that typically you will, you will have. This is why it's important that you take time and you teach. You take time and you, 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 you instruct. You take time and remind people what is truth. You take time and go over what is true doctrine. Does that make sense? And, and because here's what you have. Paul said, if therefore the whole church comes together into one place and all speaks with tongues, and there comes in those who are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say they are mad? Now, Paul didn't say don't speak in tongues. I'm going to show you in the verses to follow this that he in fact warned them that they should not uh, stop or keep someone from praying in tongues. So he's not saying don't pray in tongues. So remember, this is verse 23. I'm going to show you verses that support Paul saying that you should pray in tongues. You should value praying in tongues. So that part where they'll say you're mad, they're going to say it anyway. Well, how do we know, Pastor? Because on, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, they mocked him. Right? So you're always going to have those that are going to come in and they're going to think you're squirrely. They're going to think you're strange. How many people, uh, you have neighbors that probably think you're a little weird, right? Because you go to such and such church and, or they know you speak in tongues or, right? And so they think you're mad. That's just, that's just the way it is. And Paul addresses that. But if we all prophesy and there comes in one that believes not or one unlearned, he's convinced of all. Why? Why is he convinced of all? Not because there's a problem with tongues. He's convinced because he will understand it in his own language. That's the, that's the thing. He'll understand in his own language because most people, when they come in, if they're unlearned or they're a non-believer, they don't understand the things of the Spirit. It's but foolish to them. So in every service you have, notice, go back to verse 23, you have the whole church. That's what I call the learned. You have the whole church, and in that church you have those that speak with tongues. That's the learned. Then you have the unlearned. Okay, what is that, Pastor Hank? Those are people who maybe they're Christians and uh, they've given their life to Jesus, but they've never learned or they've never taken the next step to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't speak in tongues, but they're saved. They're on their way to heaven. So they're the unlearned. But then you have the others where they're the non-believers. They've never heard. Maybe they heard about tongues, but they're not even a Christian. They really don't care about tongues. So we have to break things down and remind people that are filled with the Spirit. We have to teach people that aren't and want to be, or maybe they're not sure. And then you're going to have the non-believer. You need to get them saved and tell them there's power in speaking in tongues. Now, I say that because let's go to Luke chapter 24. 
Jesus gave an instruction, and, and I'm always amazed, and those of you that are watching, the evangelical community, I love them. I love what they stand for. They stand for evangelism. They stand for missions, and they, they always say, you know, we're about souls. We're about sending missionaries into other parts of the world, and I appreciate it, but the problem is when the evangelical movement began to rise pre-COVID, it was, you couldn't pray in tongues. You shouldn't pray in tongues. I knew spirit-filled pastors that quit even allowing anyone to pray in tongues on Sunday morning because you would scare, they said, the guests. Well, tell that to God who poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost when it says that there were men dwelling in Jerusalem from every nation. They had a massive crowd. And God didn't care that they were guests. <laughs> and so the evangelical movement, oftentimes they'll say, well, you know, we are all about evangelism. Our church services are about winning souls. And I want to say that's fine, but that's not how the early church was. The early church, it was not designed so that you can come in to the church service and, and everything is tailored for the soul uh, to win souls. The purpose of the meeting and the gathering of the church and in the homes, because again, the home movement excludes something. They met both in the temple and in the homes. It wasn't just the homes. The scripture said they met in the temple too. So they had the temple, which could hold Solomon's porch, over 120,000 people. So don't be, don't be anti-mega churches. Because they had a huge one. And Apostle Jacob... Really, they said James, but King James put it in there because he loved his name. Jacob, over the Jerusalem church, had over 100,000 that was part of his responsibility. Well, Pastor, how do you know? Well, think about it. 3,000 got saved and then 5,000, that's 8,000. Then he kept saying great multitudes. And then he couldn't even count them. He said great numbers. Well, they met in the temple, 120,000 it could hold. And then they met in homes. And they were tongue talkers. And so here's what people don't realize. The gathering of the church was to do what Ephesians 4 says is God set apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip, to build, to mature you, the saints. That's what the gathering was. And then once you got matured, equipped, you were to go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Not come in to get saved, come in to get discipled. That's how the church was really formed. We've gotten a long ways away from that. So in the evangelical movement, a lot of times, you know, they were bent on, well, we're all about soul winning. That's great. That's wonderful. But you cannot exclude what Jesus set as the prototype and model. He told, look at Luke 24, verse 49, before he ever gave them the Great Commission. How many of you ever heard of the Great Commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Before he commissioned them to evangelize, to be missionaries, he said, boys, women included, because his mother was there, Acts chapter 1. He said, all right, 120 of you, you guys go meet me in Jerusalem. Stay there. Until you be endued with power, don't you, don't you evangelize? Don't you go to another city? Don't go into the streets? You wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. Why do we change that? Why do we think that we can have effective evangelism without the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? 
Look at Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, here's what's interesting. I've had people say, well, I've been tarrying. Pastor Hank, I've been waiting for the Holy Ghost. Because Scripture says we're supposed to tarry. Well, then go to Jerusalem if you believe that that's what that verse is telling you to do. Because you're not fulfilling it. So you don't need to go to Jerusalem, nor do you need to wait. Then there's others that will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where you get down where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And it talks about how to some is given uh, the speaking in tongues. And to another, some given the interpretation of tongues. And then it follows up with that in 1 Corinthians 12. And it says, and God gives um, these gifts severally or divides them as he wills. So people say, well, there you go, Pastor Hank. The Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, the gifts of speaking in tongues is only given to certain people as God decides. That's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The speaking in tongues there is the gift of tongues. To have messages from God to share with people that must have someone with the gift of interpreting what God is saying. What I'm sharing with you and what God said to these people in Luke 24, 49, was not the gift of tongues. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is and was the promise of the Father given to anyone who was saved that wanted more of the Holy Spirit and his power. You understand? Because there's churches today that teach, well, he gives severally to this one, to that one. That's true if it's the gift of tongues, the tongues that are messages from God to a congregation or to a person. That is not given to everyone. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence to speak in tongues is given to every believer who desires it. Are you here? Now let's go. Look at Acts chapter 2. Go back to the prototype. Go back to the pattern. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one, a place, uh, one, uh, all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all this house, this upper room where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Notice it wasn't severally as he wills. It was everyone. Because this was not the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, given to anyone who came to the well of salvation, like in John 4. And they all, watch this, were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. Notice they all did. Because that promise, that baptism was given to all. Well, how did they know? They heard them speak in tongues. You can go to Acts 8 with Simon the sorcerer. You can go to Acts 9 when Paul got filled with the Spirit. Acts 10 at the house of Cornelius. You can go to Acts chapter 19. Paul getting people filled with the Holy Spirit. In every case, you can prove that the way they knew that they were filled with the Holy Ghost is there was evidence. In every example, you can prove that the evidence was they heard him speak in tongues. 
And it never said it was just given to a couple people and everybody else was, was skipped over because God gave it severally as he wills. Now, look at the verse and the phrase in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they all began to speak with other tongues. Now, think about this for a minute. If I said to you, coming to the 11 o'clock service has a higher value or benefit than coming to the 9 o'clock. And you would say, well, what's the value? You would investigate. You would be intrigued. You would make effort to figure out why the 11 o'clock service has more value than the 9. And then when you, if you would find out that every person that came, Pastor Doug, out of his own personal account, would pay you $1,000. <laughs> but to the 9 o'clock, he only gives a dollar. Which service would you value? Come on, it ain't hard. I'd come every week at that price. <laughs> well, you can talk about praying in tongues and the value, and you still have people that treat it like it's just a dollar service. You can take it or leave it. That ain't much. I'm not really interested in it. And you don't realize that speaking in tongues is so powerful because it has value. First of all, you have to remember that the way God showed that a blood sacrifice was approved was by fire. And it just so happened, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they see fire. After Jesus just got done shedding his blood a few weeks before on the cross. And God was saying the blood's approved. And then when they heard them speak in tongues, so did the devil. And he was upset. He was like, oh my God. It's testifying that the blood of Jesus is worthy. And every time he heard them speak in tongues, magnifying God, out of the mouth there are two or three witnesses, let every word be established. It was establishing the fact that the covenant had been absolutely sealed and ratified by the blood of Jesus. And every time you lift up your voice in tongues, you absolutely torment the hell out of the devil. <laughs> Why do you think the devil attacks it so much? Because he hates the blood and he doesn't want you to add your agreement to it. So don't resist praying in tongues. But think about this phrase. If we all would pray in the Holy Ghost. Think about this. If every Christian who says that Jesus is their Lord would pray in tongues. What would be the state of the believer? What would be the state of the church with that kind of power? What would happen if those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, come on somebody, would begin to say, you know what? I'm going to increase the amount of my praying in tongues. What would be the state of Christianity? Just to say this, what if all the believers that are filled with the Spirit of God would say, okay, at noon and then at, in the evening, we're going to pray in tongues together all over the world at the same time. What would be the state of the earth? What would be the state of our politics? What would be the state of our fake news? I mean, things would snap, crackle, pop, and people would fall off their bikes. Now listen, you have to understand the power of what praying in tongues does. Well, pastor, how do you know? Listen to me. In Genesis chapter 11, the Luciferian 
one world government gathered together and said, we are going to build a tower. And we're going to do it without God. That's what this Marxist, elitist, the who. Come on. It's what their agenda is. It's why they worked so hard to do what they did. To take your voice and what you check marks at the ballot box away from you. Because they want an earth without God. Oh, I don't believe that. Read the Democratic. Read, read, read. What do they call it? Their, their party platform. I've read it several times. It's still there. They're the party of the non-religious. They don't want God. They're pushing God out of the schools. They're pushing God out of our country, so they're trying. But I, God ain't going nowhere. They picked the wrong person to fight with. <laughs> God, and you know what? I don't like this phrase. He's never lost a fight yet. He ain't never going to lose a fight. Leave the yet off. That's suggestive. He's never lost a fight. Never will. That's what you need to say. In the voice of Howard Cosell. Remember him? Howard Cosell, we've got the tone. Interrogatory heavyweight champion of the world. He's never lost a battle. His name is Jehovah Rapha. He's God Almighty. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a fight. He never will. In the words of my favorite movie, Princess Bride, inconceivable. You thought that I thought that you thought that inconceivable. Okay. It will never happen. Not in your life. Not ever. The devil's backside is so beat up, bruised, whipped, welted. And it just keeps on happening. I mean, I was smart enough as a kid when I used to have those welts. I didn't go back for more punishment. I started, I started shaping up, didn't I, Mom? I was the most behaved kid on this side of the Mississippi. And back in the days where you could spank your kids and not get hauled off to court, you, here's the thing. They'd take anything they could find and use it as their weapon of discipline. How many of y'all remember the switches? No, not the ones you flip on with the lights. I'm talking about the ones they grab from the tree. We, uh, Mom, can I tell this story? So my dad made a spanking spoon. He had, we had seven kids. He made a spanking stick. And we were tired of getting whipped, so we rebelled just like the Tower of Babel. We're like, we're taking over this house. And so we decided to bury that stupid stick. And we, we hammered it in the ground. We're taking our, taking our house back. It didn't work. Yeah, my mom said it didn't work. Yeah, you know it didn't work. Mom, I still feel it today. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have this stick in the ground. This big old stick, you know. I got to be careful because there's some of you enemies out there, you know. I turned out okay. I know you don't believe me, but I did. So anyway, so we'd hammer it in. So one day, my mom decides that she wants to plant something in this. She's digging. She calls my dad over. Hey! She had a nickname for him. I won't say what it was, but he comes over, what? Starts digging. He's like, what is that? And we're like, 
I don't think you can plant there, Dad. The Wally Cleaver came out. You know, hey, gee, Dad, uh, I don't think you can plant flowers there. <laughs> he takes around. It's the stick. So you know what he did? He went into the garage and got a bigger one and formed a handle. Yeah, 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 yeah. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. So anyway, so here's what happened. So, so the Tower of Babel, they, they had this idea. There ain't nothing we can't do. Because they were of what? One language. They all spoke the same language. And they said, there's nothing that we will, that will stop us. And even God said, I better go down and mess up their languages or there's nothing that they will not be able to accomplish. Now, guess what God did? On the day of Pentecost, he restored that. He restored one language, one sound, the language in the spirit. What would happen if we would all pray in tongues together at the same time? What if we would just increase the amount of our praying in tongues? Now, some people might be saying, yeah, but Pastor Hank, don't you know that praying in tongues, it has passed away. All right, well, look here. Let's go to Mark chapter 16. So why would it, why would Jesus, if the upper room experience was after that, it passed away. Why would he tell the disciples then in verse 15 of Mark 16 to go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's evangelicalism. That's evangelism to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. That's hell. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. And watch this. And they'll speak with new tongues. Well, how are they going to speak in new tongues? Somebody is going to teach them, instruct them, and pray for them. He was commissioning them to get people filled with the Holy Spirit. If it passed away, he would have never included that. He would say, hey, you're, they're just going to cast out devils. You're going to heal the sick. But hey, don't get over in that tongue stuff. It's of the devil. Right? And when we're done with this message, all of you in the upper room, I'm going to cast that devil that you received out of you. Because what you received was of the devil. What an insult to God that people would even say that. It's lunacy. About as loony as those that think they're going to take over America. So anyway, he said, you're going to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 13, 8, because this is what people use for their context. Because the Bible does say, tongues have vanished. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. But whether there be prophecies... They're going to fail too. Hmm. Whether there be tongues, yep, they're going to pass away. They're going to cease. See, there you go. There's our scripture. Well, then why did you go to the university? Why do you send your kids to school on Monday? Because it says that knowledge has vanished away also. So you can't pick and choose, right? This isn't a buffet. I'll take chicken. I won't take any meat. I'm a vegetarian. I'm fasting. I'm going to choose water. Have you ever gone to a buffet with somebody who's fasting? 
I'm like, what you show up for? Get out of here. Come here to drink water? Get out of here. I came here to buffet my body. Don't need you around making me feel guilty for having an extra portion of fried chicken. You ever been to some? I mean, I have. I've been to a buffet with people, and they, they, they look at you, and I say, are you going to eat? I'm fasting. What? You're here to make me feel guilty because you know that I have a problem with gluttony? <laughs> so if, if, if tongues, you can't pick and choose, okay? Prophecies are going to cease. Knowledge is going to vanish away. But notice what it says in verse 9. For we know in part. So prophecy, tongues, and knowledge is just part. It's not knowing everything. But when that which is perfect, and when we get to heaven, when that which is perfect, when this thing is wrapped up, we aren't going to need to prophesy to one another. We're not going to need knowledge. We're going to know all things. Right? And we're not going to need to pray in tongues. We're going to have the language of the Spirit. You're not going to walk up to somebody in heaven and go, uh, just a minute. I need to find out what you just said to me. You're going to know. They all speak the same language. So it didn't. Now, here's the greatest argument. So if 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, tongues passed away there, and Paul was saying that, then why would he say this one chapter later? That dude was on drugs. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. Look at what Paul said. So if it vanished in verse 8 of the previous chapter, why would he then be talking about it in the next chapter? Because religious demons want you to think it passed away, and they don't want you to pray in tongues because they know there's power in it. And they know when you open your mouth and start going, you are testifying of the blood that's worthy, and you're adding your agreement to it, and you're magnifying God. He hates it. So torture him. Sometimes I'll do that. I'll say, devil, you can't come around here. But just in case you're listening, Ita Ray Ramaya Niete Ramakaya. And he shrieks, And so does your neighbors. All right. I want to show you the importance of speaking in tongues. All right, now, this is very, very important in the, in the closing moments here, because I'm going to close because it's Father's Day. And all fathers need to take a nap. So in 1 Corinthians 14, now, how many of you know your Bible? Raise your hand if you know your Bible. You know your Bible. All of the preceding verses of this, before this verse, and I'm going to read this verse, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. Look what Paul says. If any man thinks of himself to be a prophet or even spiritual, everybody thinks they're spiritual, right? Let him then, underline it, Three times, acknowledge. Let him acknowledge. He's saying, don't reject what I'm saying. Don't get in your religious spirit about it. He said, let him acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you as your apostle, Corinth Church, I'm telling you as your spiritual father. You need to acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. It's interesting that the church of Corinth was the church that Paul spent most of his writings dealing with one particular issue. And it took him three and a half years to bring this church, 
according to history, to a place of maturity. It took the church of Thessalonica, history says, and, and scripture points to it, two weeks. Paul said, man, you, I brought you in maturity. Because the most gifted, spiritual gifted, prophesying gifts of the Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit, come on, charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches, it took Paul three and a half years because of something that was the context of most of what he was writing about in 1 Corinthians 14. You know what it was? Order. Things were not being done in order. He was saying, listen, if, if you think you have a message in tongues from God, he wasn't talking about if you all lift your voice up in tongues uh, to God, speaking to him, that you got to have an interpretation. He was saying if you would stand up behind the pulpit like they were in a public assembly and act like you got some tongue from God and there ain't nobody interpreting it, he said that's out of order. You need to pray that you interpret it. Then he gets down and he even says something. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, now I want you to see this, because people take this out of context as well. In 1 Corinthians 14, Pastor Christie pointed this out to me. Notice what he says, the women question. Whoa, women need to shut up. Women can't say anything. Pastor Brenda, we have some of those people that have commented through the years, and we're just like, bye. You have to be spiritually dumb not to recognize that there's an anointing on Pastor Brenda and Christy. All right. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34 because this is, this is verses before the verse 37. He said, I want you to acknowledge that the things that I've written to you are the commandments of the Lord. Then some people would say, see, women, watch, let your women keep silent in the churches. All right. Here's what she pointed out. Who's women? Did it say all women? It said your let your women, Corinth, keep silent in the churches. Because what they were doing is they were interrupting and doing things out of order. 1 Timothy chapter 2, you find the same thing, verse 11 and 12. He says, all right, women should not be teaching and usurping authority. What his teaching context was is you shouldn't be teaching if you are going to usurp authority in your teaching or in you standing up and representing the ministry. Because what does he do? After verse 11 and 12, he talks about order. He says, Adam was established first. He was establishing order. Not that women had to shut up in the church. You have to understand this. Junius, you could look it up. History will tell you was a woman apostle. Aquila and Priscilla, married couple. She was a high-ranking deaconess who literally took a man, Apollos, who would become a powerful apostle and showed them the word more correctly. God did not have Lydia, for example, led a church. They don't let that religious demon. The first woman commissioned to preach the gospel, come on, was Mary. Jesus didn't say, shh, I just established my church. Shut up. Don't say anything. It's reserved for men to announce that I'm alive. Come on, that's what the gospel is. He didn't say to the women, his mother, I don't think he would say no to Mother Mary, but he, 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 he literally, listen, 
There was one point when they said, hey, your mom's here. He said, who's my mom? But he didn't say to the women in the birthing of the church, he didn't say, I don't want any woman to absolutely show up when my Holy Spirit comes. They all spoke in tongues. And they all were considered drunk, including the women. The birthing of the church had the women speaking in the spirit too. That's what the message was. Women, don't get in the flesh and usurp authority because now you have a voice given to you because there's no male or female in the spirit realm. You're usurping authority. You have a voice given. Keep it in the spirit. That's the context. Now, he says all of this and he comes down to verse 37. And he says, if any man thinks of himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Then he addresses something that I think pastors give into too much. You know what it is? This is why you can't buy me. You know why? Paul says, listen, verse 38. If any man wants to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. You're not going to convince everybody on Facebook. You're not going to convince everybody that comes to your church. There's going to be some that think you're crazy, just like probably some of you in this room. But I don't care. Because my job is to recognize there's the believer, the learned, there's the unlearning, and there's the non-believer. I'm not here to impress you. I really don't care what you think of me. I have, I don't care because I stand before God. And if I'm pointing at you, I'm not pointing at you. I'm just making a point. There you go. So don't get offended if I'm pointing at you. So here's the point of the point. If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. That's, but he, he said, look, that isn't going to stop me from giving you the command of the Lord. And it's not going to stop me to show you a value of something. Now watch. He doesn't stop there. He says in verse 39, he makes this part in closing of his point. He says, wherefore, brethren, seek, covet, desire to prophesy. Imagine if churches would just have prophecy in them. But then he says this, and forbid not Corinth churches to speak with tongues. How many know that's exactly what he was saying? Now, he wraps up his whole teaching about the spiritual gifts, women usurping authority and being out of order, tongues, interpretation of tongues he wraps it up with this and he says in verse 40 again forbid not to speak with tongues then he says this let all things be done decently and in order all right i want to follow up with one last scripture and then i'll teach you some more stuff next week i want to just follow up with one scripture it's in the book of thessalonians and it's first thessalonians as you stand your feet that i want to show you pastor doug you can come paul said it this way he said he said listen Forbid them not to speak in tongues. Look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. I, I want you to look at that. And I, let's look at verse 18. I want to look at the preceding verse. What does verse 18 says? say? Sorry. It says, in everything. All right, stop right there. In everything. With high gas prices. Hmm. Heat. In everything. Everything means what? Everything. Everything. Give thanks. What would happen if we would just be thankful, grateful people? For this is the will of God. What is the will of God? 
In everything, give thanks. Look for the God in it. Look for the good in it. If it doesn't look like you see God in it, he always has a redemptive plan as long as his spirit is in the earth. What is a redemptive plan? If the gas prices are high today, his redemptive plan is, and it's going to be that way tomorrow, figuratively speaking. There's a plan of help and there's a plan of hope on the way. I love what Pastor Gene asked President Trump. And I said this to Pastor Gene. I said, Pastor Gene, why is it whenever I'm not on, President Trump calls? So I told, I told Pastor Gene, I know you're watching. So last week, not, not the Thursday, because that's when President Trump called on live. So a week before that, I'm sitting with Pastor Gene and we're praying. And I said, Pastor Gene, I just heard the Lord speak to me. He said, well, what did he say? I said, get me a sonic. No, I said, um, I said uh, the Lord just said, you need to be ready because President Trump is going to surprise you and he's going to call in. And you need to be ready. A week later, he calls. And uh, out of the blue, just calls. How many of you saw the interview? You need to go back and watch it. And he asked President Trump an interesting question. He said, well, Pastor, what does this have to do with anything? Just listen. He said, President Trump, if you were to somehow, or if it was going to happen, or if, you know, I'm paraphrasing it. It may not be exactly what he said. He said, paraphrased, if you were to assume this administration what would be the first thing that you would do president trump didn't say oh you know i'm not coming back i don't think so he didn't say he just said i will that's what he said i will didn't say i would he said i will get the energy mess fixed it's the first thing he said so, what we need to do then is in everything give thanks. God, thank you. This is all changing. Thank you, Father, that your word is coming to pass. Listen to me. You cannot believe the fake news in the season of Jezebel's ranting. You cannot. She will kill and cut off the voice of the truth and the voice of the prophetic. So you will think that her voice is the voice of truth and the voice of God. That's why you don't attack the prophetic voices in the days where Jezebel's voice is reigning loud, which it is, over the news, over the airways. How many you get it? But let's go on. I'm closing right now. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Now watch this. Why should you not forbid or not show any value in praying in tongues? Because look at what's what happens. The scripture says, quench not the spirit. Do you realize when you pray in tongues, you are communicating to God? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Put that one up, and we're bringing this to an end. Quench not. Now, how many have ever uh, dragged your garden hose around to water the plants or wash the car, and that hose is quenched? It gets frustrating, because now you got to go back and figure where the kink is. You know why some people have no flow of power? They're caving in to fear. They're believing the fake narratives and the propaganda, and they're scared because they're not, they're not praying in tongues. They're quenching. They're, 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 every time you sit there and you listen to the news more than you pray in tongues, you're, you're putting a kink in your spirit. Watch, last scripture. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue 
speaks not unto men, but you are speaking to God. For no man understands him, but how be it in the spirit realm, you are speaking mysteries. What would happen if we all spoke in tongues, increased that amount, and not quench the spirit, not cut off the spirit, not act like, well, I'm filled with the spirit and that's fine. I'll do it when I feel like it or I don't really want to do it. What if we would put value on it and let there be a flow and not quench the spirit? What would honestly happen to things that we've been praying for and waiting for? I think we would see acceleration. Amen.